Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, yeah, I'm Nate Larkin, your friendly host uh, here, uh, checking in from Franklin, Tennessee, and sitting right across the table from me. No longer the co-host from the left coast, but the co-host from, from you know, from, from Tennessee, Aaron, Aaron Porter. How you doing, <laughs> there man? Was, there was nothing that rhymed. I was trying to think, like, from the borough, <laughs> from the Murph. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I have to work on it. Yeah. At least I'm not the admiral anymore. I've been demoted to something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm completely landlocked, so I can't be the admiral anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I'm having a good time. We're finding our rhythm here with the podcast, and now that I'm full time at Samson, I'm having I, I actually have the opportunity to schedule guests. And exciting. Yeah, we got some great people coming up. Got a really good interview coming up today. I can't wait for you to meet my new friend Nick Stumbo. Uh, but before then, uh, I don't know. Uh, Allie and I watched a lot of television over the weekend. That's what Allie and I do. We we uh, we binge watch Netflix stuff. But what have you been binge watching? You know what? We just watched uh, 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 season one of a show starring Paul Rudd called "Living with Yourself." It, g- great premise, by the way. So uh, a guy wants to be. He, he wants a better version of himself, and he finds out that there is, uh, you know, this secret lab, you know, run by some shady people, uh, and they'll fix your DNA and make you a better version of yourself. That's the sales pitch. But turns out, what they don't really do that. What they really do is they clone you. That's right, and d- kill the old you, dispose of the body. And uh, and now you're a clone. Okay, but in this case, uh-huh. okay, murder of the original guy fails, and now there's two versions of the same guy. All right. Okay. Oh. All right. Which, by I, the way, I like Paul Rudd. I'm biting. Which, by the way, has some great application. You know, Allie will tell you that she's been married to two guys named Nate Larkin. Okay, so there's the old guy. And there's the new guy. And you know what? The new guy in some ways is better, but is far from perfect. And the old guy was screwed up, but in some ways had, I I don't know. It just, it set our minds spinning. It was a wonderful escapist weekend. But now you watch different crap, don't you? You watch like British stuff. Yeah. I don't know when it started. I love British talk shows. The Graham Norton show is better than any talk show ever. People can go like, old Johnny Carson was the best. No. Graham Norton. I have no idea who Graham Norton is. He throws like four celebrities on the couch at the same time and gives them liquor for an hour. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. that You've sounds got, fun. like Mark Wahlberg passed out, literally, <laughs> and then waking up in the middle of someone's anecdote and just starts talking. Oh, like, really? It's insane. Okay. It is so good. And then there's all these, all these panel shows. Uh-huh. Eight out of ten cats. Eight out of ten cats does countdown, uh, and it's the same comedians. Uh-huh. So it's basically nobody does the game show to win. They just do some game and have a bunch of comedians be funny. Okay. But this week I did learn a number of things. Uh, there was some show I found out about that's like weird science things, and okay. I learned that beavers' anuses smell like raspberries. This is a thing. Okay. Like they actually produce some gland. So that was weird. 
I'm yes. still thinking about that because we have beavers. <laughs> we have beavers in our backyard. Oh, really? Grow. Yeah. Okay. There was one in our shed, freaked Jenny out. And really? Scamp- yeah, because we have that little gully thing. And sure, yeah, the you got a little creek that comes through. Have they yeah. built a Have they built a dam somewhere well, near your place? we call it a darn at our house. Okay. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, up the road, we have seen a darn. Yeah, and okay. And we think that's where it came from. But now I'm totally curious. Like, I want to catch one yeah. and sniff its butt really bad because... Oh, that's so wrong. A real thing. Their butts smell like raspberries. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Thing number two that weirded me out. I no longer like raspberries. Or British talk shows. Okay. Uh, Thing number two that weirded me out was they said that every son will grow taller than their mother. Like it's a genetic thing. um, It must happen. Really? Now, I can think of, I almost want to call him right now. I think I know a son that is shorter than his mom. Okay. But I couldn't think of anyone else. Yeah. And that was weird. Are you taller than your mom? Oh, my mom was, I mean, I'm not a tall guy, but my mom was 4'10". Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's true for you. All right. So the listeners can just, I mean, that'll mess with your head. Okay. I've been thinking about this for days. I could probably Google it. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I just want to mess with my head. Okay. So that's, yeah. I, I love these British shows. If I wake up at two in the morning, like I did last night, mm-hmm. I'll just sit there with these uh, panel shows on all night long until I fall asleep to it. Uh, do you subscribe to BritBox? No, it's just on YouTube. Oh, Is there it's such on a thing? YouTube. Oh, yes, absolutely. They're BritBox? BritBox. You know, it's kind of like Netflix, all that kind of stuff. But you can, uh, and I think we may actually subscribe to it because Allie likes stuff like uh, Call the Midwife. I have no idea what any real shows are. Oh. I only know what these shows are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what did you say? Call the Midwife? Yeah. Is it a reality show? No, 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 no. It's a drama. It's a wonderful television drama. It's like Downtown Abbey or something. Is that a British show or is that Not American? Not Downtown Abbey, you idiot. Downton Abbey. Okay. Okay. I'm glad to have shown how much I care <laughs> and how much I don't care at the exact same time. I feel like that's the perfect balance I want to strike. <laughs> Well, I think we can have a more uplifting conversation if we call in a guest who's maybe slightly sanctified. Is not going to go around smelling beaver butts. I wonder if his butt smells like blueberries or I don't know. Oh, that's wrong. That's so wrong. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute on the Pirate Monk podcast. Regularly hurt but never say 
Well, welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and I, we have got a great guest this week, a guy who I finally got in the same room with last weekend at the uh, Leadership Summit uh, in Colorado Springs, Nick Stumbo, the Executive Director of Pure Desire. Welcome, Nick. Yeah. Hey. A patient man. A patient (laughs) man. (laughs) He's hung in. Well, thanks for including me. Yeah, it's taken us a little while to get the recording going here today, but so I'm I'm super excited. I had a bunch of questions I wanted to ask, but now I just want to hear your story because it includes no excuses for ridiculous behavior, being in ridiculous behavior and trying to be a pastor on a pedestal. Just what Go ahead. Give us the, uh, I don't know, three-minute version. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to say in a lot of ways that I had the typical Christian struggle with pornography. You know, I grew up in a good Christian home. My dad was a pastor, um, was exposed to a, a kind of pornography at a friend's house where we were watching a movie over his parents' shoulders when they thought we were asleep. And, you know, this world of sexuality exploded into view that I didn't really know what to do with. Okay, uh, pause, but I knew pause here. I'm totally confused already. His parents were watching just a movie that had sex in it, or they were watching pornography? Uh, you know, from my memory as an 11-year-old kid, I would guess it was like in that NC-17 category. It certainly wasn't just a like an R movie. There was a high volume of sex content, but it was not a porno film. So, so let's put I, it that way. I, yeah. I only ask because that has to add to the confusion like i definitely had experience with my friends finding pornography and like homeless people stash yeah but this is with like the uh, the authority figures in the home that's that that's confusing how old yeah. were you well and, and they were i was uh probably fifth grade about 11 years old and, and they were not a christian family it was some sort of horror film they were watching that was filled with i mean not only the nudity and sex but gratuitous violence and just kind of blew my little mind that night. And mm. I, I, I knew two things. I knew um, it somehow I wanted to see more and that felt wrong. So it felt shameful. And I also knew it wasn't something I could tell mom and dad about because they'd probably be angry that I watched it. And so my introduction to sexual things, which I think is common for men, is our introduction to sex is that it's secretive and it's shameful. Mm. And that became my, my paradigm growing up, you know, as I discover masturbation, discover that it 15, 16, 17 years old, I can buy Playboys at the corner gas station. They don't care what age I am. Uh, But for me, it was always a, that was the last time, got it out of my system. I was just curious, wanted to know what it was. And as I look back, I see that by my late teenage years, I had become, you know, just curious for the last time about once a month. Um, And I did what the church taught me to do. And that was that if you were struggling with something, if you would confess your sins, you know, James chapter five, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. And so I confessed, you know, to my high school youth pastor one night after everyone else had left, you know, crying my eyes out. I feel terrible. And uh, he listened. He offered grace, you know, tried to help me see I wasn't the only one. You're not alone. You know, kind of that pat on the back. Thanks for your honesty. And I went on my way thinking, man, I'm going to be free. And, And then a month later, I struggled again. And now there's more shame of like, now people know, and I've been honest, but they don't know that I'm still struggling. How many so times? I, how many times did you feel like you were allowed to confess before you needed to start either hedging your honesty or just straight up lying? 
You know, it's, it's crazy. Cause as I look back and, and this is one of the faults I see in our church culture, Christian families, like no one asked me ever, how are you doing in this area? So I, I never had to lie because no one was asking. It was always a voluntary, like when I was feeling the guilt level again and hoping that maybe this time if I just confessed enough or, you know, went up the ladder high enough, that that was my pattern of confess to the high school youth pastor. That didn't work. Confess at summer camp, confess to my dorm leader at college, confess to the dean of student, student affairs, confess to my first senior pastor and elder board, you know, confess to my fiance. And so there's this growing circle of people that I've confessed to, and yet I'm still struggling um, all the way up to becoming a senior pastor which then at that point, I really bought into kind of the performance mode of being a pastor that says the reason they hired you is because you're the most spiritual person in the room. Mm -hmm. And if you confess to a struggle with pornography, well, you're not obviously that spiritual. And then why should you be the senior pastor? Uh, and so at that point, the only safe person to confess to was my wife, um, which would happen, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year, I'd get up the courage to say, hey, you know, I've told you before, I'm still still struggling, but I'm trying really hard. And that was the last time. And I promise. And, and after 10 years of that, those confessions for obvious reasons didn't mean much to my wife anymore. Um, my promises to change were pretty empty and hollow. And she was, she was ready to call it quits. She was, she was done. And so that was really kind of our breaking point in terms of something had to give. And that was where uh, we were introduced to the, the counseling team at Pure Desire, met with Ted and Diane Roberts. Um, and went on this journey of healing and recovery that for the first time wasn't just one more pattern of confession and accountability, but actually was a plan and a path with tools and a process of here's what it looks like to pursue freedom, not just to go back on your own and try harder to get free. And so uh, that was done because of my honesty early on with my elder board. Um, I was able to go to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm still struggling. I want to be free. Would you help? And they were they were an active part, so to speak, of blessing me and giving me permission to pursue help with my issue with pornography, even while I was the senior pastor at our church. So it's it's a very rare story, I think, in terms of what a church is willing to do. But I look back and just see their support um, was part of what made it possible for me to pursue that freedom. How old were you when that all started happening? Um, in my early thirties, I think 31, 32, somewhere, right. It was 2010. Um, so we went through a year of a healing process with pure desire counseling, being in a group, both myself and a group for men who are struggling and my wife and a spouse's group for those dealing with betrayal. Um, and at the end of that year with my district superintendent's blessing and the help of the pure desire counseling team did a public disclosure statement to our church about my addiction to pornography you know, confessed that I battled this and had failed in this area. So I asked both for their forgiveness, then talked about the healing that we'd been experiencing, and then asked for their help to start groups for men and women uh, that had similar issues. And so overnight really was birthed a healing ministry in our church, um, where men and women were able to go through a similar process. Oh, how beautiful is that? How, I just love how that. unusual is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So It is unusual. Yeah, so you get to show... Uh, your weakness, and you get to talk about healing, um, and and that makes it safe for other people to come out of the shadows. I don't know why I want to ask this, but you start at the beginning of this story saying, I just knew I couldn't tell mom or dad. What, what was the first conversation with dad? 
You know, my, my parents were incredibly loving people, uh, but the only time I ever remembered us talking about sex, you know, my dad and I had kind of the classic birds and the bees talk probably around that time, fourth, fifth grade. Um, so I knew what sex was, but it was really enforced. Like this is for marriage. Anything outside of marriage is wrong. And, and I think there was just a very high standard of whether you want to call it holiness or religious obedience or legalism, like that there was this standard uh, you know, I tell this story a lot. When we were kids, my dad would take us around churches. We would kind of be a, a team where he would preach and then we would all sing and play instruments and we'd, we'd be a, uh, the weekend service at, at churches. And we'd drive to these church services in an old uh, Cadillac or an old uh, Mercury Grand Marquis. So, you know, the two rows of seating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be mom and my mom and my little brother and my dad in the front row and then the three of us in the back seat. And close enough that when we're misbehaving, dad could reach back and grab someone and tell him to stop it. And so we'd drive to these churches, just like fighting and arguing the whole way. And, and then we'd get to the church and pull into the parking lot and dad would turn around and in kind of his, you know, fatherly pastoral voice, he'd say, now we're going to go in there and we are the weekend service for these people. And they're expecting us to show some class. So when you get out of this car, you will go in there and you will behave and you will show some class. You know, and so we'd open the doors of the car and we'd be the good little boys and girls and sing our songs and do our dance. And and all the people would say, oh, you got what a beautiful family and you're all so wonderful. And and you'd, they'd say to my mom and dad, you, you must be so proud to have such wonderful, well-behaved kids. And we'd all <laughs> nod and smile. And, and in my head, it was like, oh, that's how life works. Like you're one way in public. And then if in the home, there's other stuff going on, you just don't talk about it. Yeah. And so I, I have a wonderful family in terms of they weren't, there wasn't abusive stuff, right? I know there's Christian homes that were really terrible. I think we had a solid Christian family. You just, you didn't talk about that stuff. And so if it happened in your life, I think I always felt like I've just got to figure this out because I need to show some class. I need to act like things are good because that's what you do. But then until you, you figure it out. So you wrote a book about all of this. So at some point, your family found out that you weren't as classy as you pretended to be. Yeah. What was for the sure. response? Uh, you know, I, I think there can be some awkwardness to that, like there is when we open any doors that yeah. people aren't familiar with. And um, that, that was part of the healing journey that we went on in that year is learning to tell our whole story. So as as I was able to tell my whole story to my wife and we worked through a lot of those issues and the forgiveness and um, started to find solid footing, it was going to our family and, and just telling the story to say, hey, I I struggled as a teenager. I had at times pornography in my room. You never knew I was hiding it. Um, so there was kind of the both sides of me seeking forgiveness on my part. But I really have seen a, a wonderful openness in my dad who would acknowledge. He said, yeah, I didn't know how to approach some of that. And, and he yeah. had unresolved issues in his own life that he said, I I just, that was the culture I grew up in, that you just didn't talk about that. And so I never knew as a little boy how to even have, and so here's my dad, a, a godly man, a great pastor, very kind, gentle person. And yet when it came to sex, no one had trained him how to talk about it in a healthy way. So he never talked to me. So then I grew up, I've never, you know, I didn't know how to talk mm -hmm. about it. And it really has been something that we've been able to have great conversations about, um, and a lot of that's to my dad's credit to look back and say, help me understand um, what I could have done better as a dad. And it's it's really made for a great relationship now because 
we've had some of those conversations just about life and how maybe I felt like he created that expectation in me of having to live up to his standards or be good enough. You know, that's, as I've worked with men now in small groups, every single guy tells some version of that story of they feel like they're not good enough. And what a blessing it is to have those conversations with my dad and to have him acknowledge it, say, I can see how I created that in you, that I wanted the best for you. I wanted you to exceed at sports and school, but I can see how it left you feeling like you you were never quite good enough, that the bar was always higher. And so um, it's it's been neat to just watch how the healing that I've experienced in my life and that we've had as a couple in our marriage has also created some growth in, in family relationships. Wow. What a, what a gift. A uh, resolution there. Uh, Nick, I wonder if you can uh, tell us a little bit about Ted Roberts. Ted has never been a guest on the podcast. He's a real pioneer in this field, a courageous man, obviously has had a huge impact on your life. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. in the, he's in the middle of a health fight now. What can you tell us about, uh, about Ted? Yeah, for sure. God, you know, God used Ted in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Um, Ted and Diane Roberts came to Gresham, Oregon to take a four square church here, um, kind of a small church at the time. And they recognized, I think, quickly that if they were going to help people in Portland, Oregon, where the phrase keep Portland weird is a very real thing. Um, and we have more strip clubs per capita here than anywhere else in the country, uh, except for Vegas, from what I've been told that they just saw if they were going to help people, they had to address their sexual brokenness. And so Ted is a student at heart, and he looked around at what was happening in the church there in the early to mid-90s and just felt like there wasn't much to go off of. Most of it was just a try harder, read your Bible, pray more, confess more kind of approach that really wasn't setting people free. And so he went and studied under Dr. Patrick Carnes, one of the leading secular experts on sex addiction, and he kind of wrote the book on sex addiction. And with Patrick Carnes's permission, he brought a lot of that teaching back and put it on a biblical foundation and started um, running these men's groups. And at the time, they were kind of writing the curriculum as they went. Every week, a guy'd come in and Ted would hand out new punched hole-punched pages, and <laughs> they'd add them to their notebook. And, and that became the forerunner of Pure Desire. So for, for many years, Ted was running Pure Desire Ministries just out of the local church, Um, wrote the book Pure Desire in the mid to late 90s. And then it wasn't until 2008, he felt like God called him to make Pure Desire an independent nonprofit from the local church. So as an actual ministry, we've only been around 11 years, even though Pure Desire and the concepts go back uh, into the mid 90s. Uh, So the, the target there being to help more churches run healing ministries like Ted had had in his church. And um, that was going well until in 2015 ted was diagnosed with parkinson's and so uh over the last four years you know you're seeing the effects of that on his life a lot of people know ted roberts from the conquer series and kind of the the marine go get him um, and ted is still very much the marine at heart but you can you can tell he's not the same man in terms of just some of the challenges there um but he's he's all ted you know his his mind is sharp and he's uh, counseling still about 20 pastors a week, helping them work through their healing journey still, and uh, is a mentor to me on our team. But because of the Parkinson's needed to transition out of the lead role, and so that's where he handed the baton to me and the team here, that that's really our focus now is for people to know that the principles of Pure Desire are effective and can lead to lasting change, whether Ted Roberts is teaching them or the team at Pure Desire. 
Yeah. So we hope that people get to know Pure Desire as a team and not just as Ted Roberts. But uh, yeah, they're they're still a part of what we do, and um, he's he's had a big impact on my life and, and many many others on this journey to freedom. That's awesome. What can you tell us about uh, the Conquer series? I, 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 we were just at the AACC conference here in Nashville, the American Association of Christian Counselors, and uh, there was a lot of buzz on the exhibit hall floor about the Conquer series. You guys have made some great inroads into the church and gotten the conversation going where it needs to be going. Tell us about the Conquer series. Yeah. You know, what's great about the Conquer series is it can really open the door for churches and men. And I mean, we have women that'll watch it as well because it doesn't have to be watched by men only, but to help Christians understand why trying harder doesn't work, to mm-hmm. understand the deeper things that are driving our behavior, how our, how our woundedness leads to core belief lies that we're listening to and acting on, um, the patterns that have become cemented in our brains and how even the neurochemistry of the chemicals being released are reinforcing the system, just like in any addiction. And and I think what it does is it opens someone's eyes to the deeper things that are happening and then can help them see why their other attempts at getting free haven't worked. And so it's it's great because it's in 10 weeks, you can really start that conversation and hopefully bring someone to the point of saying, I think I need more help. I think I could see myself engaging in a process of healing and freedom. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a blessing that Ted was picked to kind of be the spokesperson for that when Kingdom Works was just looking to make a film to help the church address pornography and um, replayed his story there. And, and that's, uh, I think, just like you said, Nate, it's opened the door for a lot of churches to say, how can we start down this path? Because it, it can be intimidating. If, if you don't have a plan to help men or women who struggle with sexual issues to go from nothing to something. It's like, how do we do that? Do we need to be trained counselors? Do we need to be professionals? So yeah, it's like, yeah. Hey, here's a video series that can get us going in that direction. Um, and then hopefully from there, churches can establish a group's ministry for men and women in this area. Wow. So you use words like path, journey, direction, which all speak to progression. And yeah. uh, when I was... I was reading some of your articles. Very good, by the way. Uh, I enjoyed the one on confession and honesty and full disclosure. That was, I'd love to talk more about that, but not right now. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Anytime. I I was looking up some statistics on honesty and honest tea, the the brand honest tea had had set up an experiment at a bunch of, I don't know, farmers markets and stuff where they wanted to know how honest people were. So they put out a bunch of tea and said, cost a buck, just put a buck here in this jar. They watched to see how many people did it. And after doing this for, I don't know, a long time, they came up with 91% of men are honest and 95% of women are honest. And I thought, okay, wow, that's, that was like the headline of their story is <laughs> most people are honest. And based on their criteria, that's true. They were honest as far as would you steal a tea. Yeah. But it reminded me that honesty is on a spectrum, <laughs> right? Yeah. By the way, but let me just jump in. The old the alcoholics in AA have a term for this. They call it cash register honesty. <laughs> and, and, and an alcoholic can convince himself that he's an honest person if he would have put a buck in. And most alcoholics would have. But, yeah. but then in AA, they'll say, oh, 
Yeah. No, let's talk about honesty. Go ahead. Which, by the way, if they were in a group, obviously 96% of men became honest. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> it, it, that that was honest to a degree. And then there are greater degrees, like there's this spectrum of honesty. Pure honesty, I don't think I've ever had it. Because even when I tell my story, even when I'm trying to be honest, it's biased by how I feel about the other players in the story. Yeah. So if you ask them, they would be like, oh, no, he was a total dick. He was way worse than he's saying he is. But I might be trying yeah. to be honest. So when we are in this pursuit of, and we've got words like purity, honesty, conquering, and we know that it's also a journey... And yet the church only celebrates that which was complete, not which is ongoing. How do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I think that's such a great question. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, how important our terminology is. And just as you bring up, if purity is a destination we arrive at, then we're always trying to achieve that mark or figure out, OK, what's the barrier to determine if I'm quote unquote pure? But, but I try to look at it as purity is not a destination. Purity is the journey. Because if, if purity is the goal, as you say, 100% honesty or 100% purity, I, I think we're not going to achieve until we get to heaven because that would be, in essence, perfection. Yeah. That complete purity of heart, mind, will. I mean, the truth is we're still fallen people that struggle with sin no matter how close to Jesus we're getting it's what Paul says in Galatians 5, like there's this tension between the old self and the new, and I'm never free from that. Even if you know I'm a new person in Christ and he's winning in a lot of ways, there's still those shades of, uh, or a discussion we had in my group the other night. You know, We've always talked about, oh, the second glance, You know, as an attractive woman walks by, well, the second glance might be sin. But I've said, well, what about the first glance? You know, how long <laughs> my eyes... How long my eyes linger. If you don't look at, away, it's still the right, first at, glance. <laughs> at, what, at what millisecond, right? Yeah, at yeah, what yeah. millisecond have I crossed the line into lust and sin? And where is it temptation? Because I think you could talk to men and say, that's impossible to know. Isn't that but what Jesus said, though? If a man looks at a woman a second time with lust <laughs> in his heart. And, and that's exactly the point of why Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount, is he's trying to say, you can't achieve this righteousness on your own. Right, yeah. You, you have to find a righteousness in me that goes beyond that of the Pharisees, because if you're relying on your behavior to become pure enough, you'll never get there. And I actually think it's a message in the church that's defeating a lot of men and women, because yes. maybe we've found freedom from pornography, but I still glanced at that woman too long, and now I'm beating myself up saying, oh, I'm still not pure, I'm still not pure. Rather than seeing purity as something Christ is giving me continually, and I'm trying to learn how to walk in it and live it out, wow. versus right. I yes. have to get there in order to become that. Absolutely. And it's a mindset shift that if, if men can get, and women, that like my purity comes from what Christ gives me, and I'm just learning to agree with that, then back to my words of journey and process and discovery, like we continue to move along that path with him and with his purity becoming more pure along the way. Right. So that that's one of the ways I think about it, that it's learning to become more like Christ because we already know who he says we are. Oh, or we're trying to good. experience, we're trying to physically experience that which already is complete in him. I talked to a yeah. pastor years ago who had a presupposition, and he wouldn't mind me 
telling this story, even without using his name. He lived in a big city, lots of billboards, and he had come to the conclusion in his 30s that he shouldn't be attracted to scantily clad women anymore because he was spiritually mature. Uh, he should only be attracted to his wife, which we mentioned before we started recording. Which is wouldn't, like, wouldn't well, that, that be great if it worked that way? I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> but that, it's just so bizarre, right? Yeah. I, I should be repulsed by the female form, except when I see my wife and I'm like, wow, you're hot. So he had this idea that that's what maturity meant. And I remember when he told me that, yeah. I thought that the story was going to go to, uh, I said, well, what, what happens when you have these, these thoughts, you see these billboards? And I thought he was going to say, oh, I look at porn, I go masturbate, I, whatever. And he said, oh, I just start praying and ask God to help me. Then I go home and try to love my wife better, and love her well. And I'm thinking like, where's, where's the failure in this story? I'm trying yeah. to figure it out. And I right. said, but it's not ironic that he sees himself as a failure in that story. Yes, because, because he he's thinks, not pure. Yes, he thinks maturity means he never has that thought. And I said, yeah. what would happen if God took that away from you? And he said, oh, I would get so much more done for the kingdom. I would just have more time and energy to put into the needs of other people, which I'm just hearing, you'd become more of a workaholic, you'd become more of a workaholic, you'd become. <laughs> and I thought, why would God ever want to rescue him? Like, here he is, complete in Christ, still living in a body of flesh, and yet that stuff that he used to think, oh, that's the horrible part of me, actually drove him to God. So why yeah. would God take that away? But then that gets us all messed up in our head. How does it fit in? Yeah, totally. I've used the the thought about the Apostle Paul, who at the end of his life calls himself the chief of sinners. Yeah. It's like, well, did he start sinning more later in life or what's going on here? Or is it that he had grown so much in Christ that he just had a more accurate view of his sinful old nature? And he knew that in that part of him, he was terrible and it, it was as bad as ever. But but he'd learned more how to just pursue the Christ in him and his new self. And so he can look at the old and say, man, I'm the worst of sinners, not because he's actually doing those things, but. He, he just sees the old nature more clearly because of how much he's grown in Christ. And I, I think if people could embrace that, that like growth in Christ doesn't mean you stop desiring things. It just means you're not controlled by them anymore. And you do take those things to him and you know how to handle the fleshly urges that come and you've developed healthy patterns for dealing with them. It's, it's really a different way of seeing purity. Like we've been talking about. So I'm curious. Uh, I was thinking about you. You have a job now where you focus on this all the time. I can't imagine. That must be so hard. Like before, even when you're doing other ministry and you're helping other people, you're dealing with your own stuff. Now you're right in the middle of just, I'm focusing on porn and dudes who are dealing with porn. How is that for you? <laughs> Yeah, it, it certainly is something you can't really prepare for in seminary. You know, they didn't have a seminary class on how to lead a sex addiction nonprofit, <laughs> uh, which would have been helpful. Yeah. I would have appreciated that. Um, it, You know, I, I still do have a deep love for the local church, so there's a lot I miss about being a, a pastor in a, a parish. Um, but there are things that here, you know, we have a, a team at Pure Desire. And so in a sense, I'm the team leader and I'm a pastor to this team. And there are people that I care about and try to lead them as people. Um, 
and getting the opportunity, I mean, even like this, just to share my story, to share new ways of thinking about our sexuality and the journey we're on towards, you know, experiencing who Christ made us to be. And there, there are real highlights like that. Um, you know, I'm trying to think how else would I have gotten to rub shoulders with Nate Larkin, whose, whose book touched my life early in my journey. And so there, there are things like that. And really, I think it comes down to, though, feeling like God called us into this. I mean, apart from that, we would not have left our church to, to join the Pure Desire team because we were very happy in, in our, our community and with the friends we had and where we were raising our kids. But we just felt like God said, I, I want you to help in this area because there are so many people trapped like you were and you can be a part of helping me set them free. And I said, in essence, God, if you can use me in that way, let's, let's do it. Um, and it's not always easy or fun. And you hear rough stories. I mean, just, just today hearing a story of a guy that recently attended an event with us and then got caught in some illegal stuff that he never, he had relationship with quite a few of us. He could have a couple of months ago said, man, I'm, I'm yeah. in some stuff. I need help figuring out what to do about it. For whatever reason, the shame, the secrecy in his life was so high. And you just, that comes out and you ache for like, man, you were, you were right next to things that could have helped you, but you couldn't get over whatever the block was. Uh, that, I mean, that stuff's hard. It's hard to deal with, but, but then for every story like that, there's the couple that comes and says, pure desire saved our marriage. It changed my life. I'm only a dad with my kids because of my pure desire group. And it's like, man, that's why we do this. It's, it's knowing there's a lot at stake here. And if God can use us to to be a part of people's redemption story. You know, that's what it's all about. Uh, tell me this, Nick, as you, as you look ahead with your team uh, toward the future with Pure Desire, what's your vision? Where do you see uh, the ministry going? You know, the, the stat that keeps me up at night, and I know a lot of groups have quoted it, but Josh McDowell and Covenant Eyes did a study, and they, you know, they asked the question, does your church have a specific plan to help men and women who struggle with pornography? And only 7% of churches said they had a plan. And, and you look at the numbers and stats of people that say they struggle with some form of sexual brokenness, and you would say every church in, a, in the world, in America, needs a plan how to help men and women in this area. And so to me, that's what our end goals or our outcomes at Pure Desire are all about, is how do we move that 7% number in the local church? Because yeah. Uh, having been a pastor and come out of the local church, I still believe that the the local church is where this battle has to be won. That if the local church doesn't feel equipped to help men and women in their sexual brokenness, Satan will win this, culture will win this, media. I mean, there's just there's too much against us that if there's just counseling groups or books being written, we're not going to make any headway. But if the local church sees, hey, we can be a place people find their healing, and we don't have to just send someone away to get them healthy then we can start to see victory. So that's that's what we're all about, is equipping groups to run healthy ministries, um, to create more people who go to their local church saying, hey, I found healing in a Pure Desire online group, and now I'd like to lead these groups in our church. How can we make this happen? Um, so a lot of what we're doing at Pure Desire is wrapped around that vision of how do we equip the local church that at the end of the day, they can say, we have a ministry to help men and women, not just to say, oh, we send people to pure desire, which sometimes they do, but we always try to send them back and say, we want this to happen in your local church. So equipping leaders, um, trying to help pastors that are ready to start a ministry, um, and anything we can do to just 
as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, to help people start the conversation, whether in the church or in their home. Because if we still have a Christian culture where sex is taboo and they don't talk about it at home and they only talk about it at church that one special weekend in a year when we're talking about sex, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels different and everybody wonders what it's going to be. If that's the culture, we're not going to get very far. So how to help people normalize this conversation yeah, so that we can grow in maturity and, and, and find health in those places. So how do people start that journey with? Uh, finding out what resources you have, how to bring that back into their groups, whether it's group guys, whether it's church, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah. The, a a lot of guys, you know, as you were mentioning, Nate, a lot of people find the conquer series and that's a great DVD to go through with a small group of other guys and just understand the problem and the process. And then, you know, from there uh, we have a men's group called seven pillars of freedom that, really is the journey of sustained healing. What we say is uh, the Conquer Series is like the on-ramp and Seven Pillars is the freeway. And so at, at puredesire.org, we sell all of our own resources. Um, we're kind of unique in that at this point, we've chosen not to outsource everything to Amazon, that we print it and ship it right here in our little office in Troutdale, Oregon. And we have group materials for men who struggle, spouses, women who struggle, and their spouses. So Whatever your issue is, if you went to Pure Desire, you could find a small group workbook. And and then from there, you could either join an online group to go through that material. Or what we like even better is if you've got two or three friends that you've been honest with and they're saying, yeah, me too. I don't know what to do about this struggle. Just start a group among the three or four of you. And um, I know Nate and I were talking a little bit like the Samson Society groups that have already established a culture of grace, a culture of vulnerability a culture of, Hey, we're, we're getting honest and dealing with this, that there's some like a group material. They could just plug right in uh, oh, yeah. as part of that or after that. Um, so I, I think there's, there's lots of ways people can connect. It kind of depends. Are they the spouse mm-hmm. or the one struggling and are, are they ready to deal with it? Cause that's the other thing we have found is this isn't something you can quick, you can fix quickly. And that's our human nature is we want to fix things faster, easier and cheaper. Yeah. Uh, but these, these patterns in our thinking, in our souls, go pretty deep. And we can't expect that even a 10-week journey through the Conquer series is going to set us free. That might get it going, but we really need to be in an environment of community. And it might take a year or two yeah. uh, to really find that we're changing the way we think. Yeah. Um, so that's what our group resources are all about. You know, and this sounds like a perfect fit to some of the online uh, book study groups that are that Samson uh, Samson groups that have formed. Uh, and man, I just preach that we're talking about a healing process here. We're talking about actually a physical, biological healing that takes place in the brain, and that happens Absolutely. slowly. Neurons, let's say it again, neurons are the slowest cells in the body to regenerate. They do regenerate, but it takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes grace. Uh, and then it sure helps to have some great instruction along the way. Yeah. And, and maybe God actually wired us that way mm-hmm. because the journey was the place that we would finally surrender. <laughs> and if we were all fixed, we would just be kingdom workaholics. And screw that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what I say. You know, when I look back at my journey, I I went into it because porn was ruining my life and ruining my marriage. And I just, 
I had this idea that if I could just deal with the porn, I was basically a good person. Yeah. But I got into the, the group environment where I really learned to be vulnerable. I, you know, let go of the performance facade. And I found out I was more of a mess than I even let myself believe that mm. I was driven by performance. I needed people's accolades to feel good about myself. I had tons of lies about what made for my identity. And, and in a, a group where you really go deep like this, all that just kind of got opened up. And the, the pornography, you find out that's really just the symptom yeah. of the, it's not the problem. It's the symptom of the deeper stuff. And if you can get into the deeper stuff of what experiences and what trauma is driving your identity and, and all that stuff that we were not really taught how to talk about it. I found, and my wife and I would come, we're like, we feel like we're changing in all these areas we're not even working on. Yeah. Like, how can that be happening? Yeah. It's like, well, cause you're actually going to the core of what's driving everything. And pornography is the symptom. And so I tell people, if, if you can see your broken sexuality as the lens that you'll allow God to take you into the deeper stuff, you'll be glad you did because it'll change so much more than just your sexual brokenness. It, it addresses all the stuff that has gotten kind of fouled up in your past and, and starts to invite God and others into a process of setting it right. And that's, that's a complicated problem. I think it's, um, C.S. Lewis talked about that, that if you have a complex math problem and you get the wrong answer, you have to go back strand by strand and unwind where it got wrong. Otherwise, you can't fix it. And I think our our brains and our past is like that. It's it's this really complex web that you've got to follow the strands back and see, where did I start to believe that my value came from performance? Mm -hmm. And how yeah. could I unlearn that with the help of God and others? Because otherwise, if, even if we fix the porn, like you're saying, then we just become a workaholic. Or if we don't address those things, the addictive behavior will just latch onto something else to try to provide that false sense of feeling good about ourselves. So when you get to the core, though, it, it begins to unravel everything. What a, what a great, gracious thing, though, if like you and I went back right now to that first time you were really honest and you didn't know how full of crap you still were, but you were yeah. like, this is so hard. And then you spoke that honesty and we were like, you know, in, in the room watching it happen. And we'd be like, oh, Nick, you're being so brave. Good job. Yeah, we're so totally. stoked. But you're still so full of crap. And then like five years later, <laughs> like it's way bigger. And we're like, whoa, this is so much deeper. This is so much better. And then, like you said, slowly the good stuff became the byproducts. It was no longer the thing you were trying to accomplish. It just started coming out. And can you imagine how full of crap we still are today? <laughs> and five years from now, we'd be like, oh, you three guys, you precious guys, yeah. you're doing great. <laughs> like, how could that not be true five years ago versus five years from now? Well, and, you know, what I hear you talking about is this concept we keep coming back to that we're all people in process. Yes. No matter where we're at in our healing, it, it's not an arrival mindset of, oh, I arrived at my healing. I'm good to go. It's like, no, I'm. I'm a person that God is continuing to take me into my selfishness and my idiosyncrasies of pushing people away, even though I know I need them. And, and, and as we allow God to do that, it's, it's not fun. I mean, I still find that vulnerability is like, Oh, I'm still here. But on the <laughs> other hand, it's like, wow, praise God, there's men in my life. I don't have to pretend with, and they're not impressed by my performance. They're, they just, they know me and warts yeah. and all, and, mm -hmm. and they know that I'm in process just like they are. And granted, maybe my story, because I'm nine years into this now, my story's at a little different place than theirs. 
But I, I think that's what continues to connect me when I lead a group is I say to the guys at the beginning, I'm like, I might be the director of pure desire, but I'm in this group because I'm a man who can struggle with lust and pornography. And I know that apart from community, I become a selfish jerk pretty quick. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to be honest about stuff in my life, just like I'm going to ask you to be. And, and maybe you're still battling a relapse into pornography and I'm describing something different. That's okay. I think what you're going to see is that at the root, we're battling a lot of the same stuff and God's going to help us find some healing together. And he's cheering us along the whole way. Yeah. Going, Amen. Oh yeah. No, no, you're not there yet, but oh buddy, this is a good moment. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. great. Well, yeah. Nick, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule and all of your responsibilities there at Pure Desire to talk with us. And uh, I really encourage our listeners to check out all that's available there, those great resources at puredesire.org. Uh, God bless you for what you're doing. Uh, this is, uh, you know, we are, as we often say here, uh, you know, God has called us to battle the dragon of the age. And uh, I love that you guys are rallying the church and that you have, you've, you, you've, you're really building some credibility in the local church. I hear it now. And I'm grateful yeah. for what you're doing. And listeners, yeah. be careful. Don't put an accent over the E on Pure Desires, because that'll take you to a culinary site that has some wonderful purees, but it's not, <laughs> it will not give you any of the resources you're longing for. Yeah. So just straight and pure. Pure Desiree is an entirely different site as well. So... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and it, it's pure desire singular, so don't put the S on the end. And and thank God that uh, .com used to be a problem too, but fortunately we were able to put a, uh, a contested website, so puredesire.org. Uh, and if you make a mistake and type .com, it'll just take you to an empty page. So Did I, did I tell you that there was a time early on, this happened eight or ten years ago, I where I forgot— I did, I, I, did I did not renew the SampsonSociety.org uh, yeah. uh, domain. And how much did that guy try to charge and you? And a pornographer snatched it up oh, and man. turned it into a porn site and offered it. Yeah. And, and he put a, oh, he wanted $100,000, I, I think. Wasn't it more than that? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was uh, insane. Unfreaking believable. Hey, it reminds <laughs> you we've got an enemy and they've got a lot of money. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> We, we need the help of the Lord and his spirit to guide us and go before us because it's we're really trampling on his territory. But but God's doing some great things, and I think we're, we're really making headway. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. Nick Stumbo, thanks, brother. Hey, I'm, thanks, guys. Great I'm, sure to be with we'll, you. I'm sure we'll see more of you and hear more of you in the future. And we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Let it be.
we are back on the Pirate Bunk Podcast. But your new buddy, Nick, all these people you <laughs> hung out with in Colorado, all your new friends. Yeah, uh, what, a, what a cool guy. What a good guy, good-hearted guy, and, you know, hard at work and being a vital job. Yeah, I, it's, it was great. It was very encouraging. Yeah, and, and I'm very impressed with the way that they've passed the baton there in Pure Desire. So, uh, you know, that organization is just getting, uh, getting stronger and finding its feet, and God's using it in a big way. Well, we are coming up on our weekend. It's happening. Just a few days from now. Uh, now, I, who knows when the—you uh, uh, know, the, the, this uh, episode's going to be up forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this after this weekend— this weekend being the uh, the first weekend in November no- twenty nineteen. November. Did you last year? Yeah. This we, uh, what's the date today? Twenty eighth. Yeah. Yes, it is October twenty eighth. I believe either today or tomorrow was the day Abby and I flew here and started finding the house. Like this was the beginning of moving here. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. How crazy is that? Isn't that nuts? You came here right before the retreat and scouted for a house. This is and at the retreat didn't have cell phone reception. No, Abby had my phone at your daughter's house. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So I had to keep borrowing people's phones to call about closing on the house. This has been like the longest and shortest year of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally crazy. Wow. So we're back and it's happening. And uh, we're going to record the next episode live from the retreat. Yes, we are. So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be terrific. I, I, my head is spinning. We got so much going on, so much happening for the weekend. We got a and we've got a we got we're we're full. It's going to be a busy weekend, a great weekend. I can't wait for it. Boy, we haven't had this many since the California forty-eight hours when we had like hundred and twenty. Uh, 12, 13 years ago. That's right, yeah. So this is this is going to be fun. Yep. New dynamic. Yep. Well, geez, let's get out of here. We got stuff to do. Okay. We got a meeting to go to. All right. Well, then that's a wrap then. This is oh, the... But what? people should send us notes and thoughts and questions. Yeah. So if you got... If you want us to talk about anything... Send us a note at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right, till next time, I'm Nate. Hi, Aaron. We're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg. <laughs>